Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this special edition of the podcast this week. I'm Alex from the engagement team here in London. So today we'll be bringing you some exclusive content from our first Uber Engage event hosted in London. As we've spoken about in previous episodes, Uber Engage is our pilot program that is aimed at setting up advisory groups made up of partners just like you in every city across the UK by the end of the year. By setting up advisory groups, we hope to create a formal channel for you to voice your feedback and ideas about how we can make Uber better for everyone. So as part of the kickoff event, we've held a fireside chat with key Uber team members who came along to the meeting to speak to partner drivers and answer their questions. The next audio you'll hear will be from the event and we hope you enjoy listening in. I'm Jonathan, I'm in the legal team, specifically the employment legal team. Uh, so I work on the case that you'll have all heard a lot about uh, and generally supporting the legal team in doing all the sort of partner packages, initiatives, etc. That's That's pretty much falls on my desk. I'm Edgar, uh, I've been in the marketplace team for over a year now and recently I've been focusing a lot on the safety, so making sure that we make and we roll out features uh, to improve the safety in the platform, basically. Yeah. I'm Irina, I'm on the marketing strategy team and our marketing team here in the UK um, is responsible for planning our campaigns. So you guys might have seen our campaign last year, A to B, maybe some tube ads or a TV ads, so that's our team. We do something called um, rider acquisition, which is basically encouraging and incentivizing riders to take rides or try Uber for the first time. We also do research, which doesn't really get um, seen as much as some of the other stuff, but we have a full insights and research team. And we do roundtables, we do surveys, we do reports with both riders and drivers. Um, and then the final thing that we do is send all of the communication to riders and drivers. So all the emails, the majority of the emails that you get from us in your inboxes are done by the marketing team. Lovely, round of applause. <laughs> Fantastic. Thanks guys. So Jonathan, first question to you. Um, there's been a lot going on over the last year and seeing as you are legal representative today, would you be able to give us an update on the employment tribunal uh, currently? Yeah, it's quite, it's quite a long narrative. I'm sure you're all as familiar with, with it as I am. Um, so it started in, I think, October um, 2015, the case started. We were in court in July 2016. Um, so what happened, there were uh, two drivers that brought a claim and what they were claiming was that they were workers. So if there is self-employed, there's employees, and workers are somewhere in the middle. And so you don't get the full kind of suite of rights that employees get. A worker would receive certain things like kind of a guaranteed minimum wage, holiday. But on the, the flip side of that, they, that essentially imposes various obligations on, on Uber to guarantee those minimums and also to make various elements of it financially viable. For example, you know, I mean, one of the core facets of Uber at the moment is that absolute freedom to go on or not. One of the things that would subsequently flow from a worker model would be that you would relinquish that control um, because Uber would need to take steps to set shifts, to, to impose or enforce certain obligations that Uber wants. So to take more control back to regulate this kind of worker model. And so when this case landed, we, we thought, well, you know, do we, what about worker model? Why, don't, why actually does worker status not work for the people that use the app? So drivers, ultimately riders as well, and ultimately Uber as well. And so we thought the right thing to do was to fight it. I mean, we had 40,000 drivers and we had 19 of them uh, claiming a separate status and essentially fundamentally looking to change the business model. Um, and so we started the fight. And at that, that point in time, um, worker status wasn't really a thing. There weren't really many cases about it. 
Um, but when RFK started, it started to become much more prolific in the press. You'll have read about it more and more. Courier companies, uh, Addison Lee, uh, the plumbers, Pimlico plumbers. Um, um, and so what we did at court, we tried to say, well, hang on, you've got Pimlico here. You've got a guy in a van doing a set shift, uh, wearing a uniform, um, being paid a set way, being penalised for not turning up, etc. You know, we're materially different to that. Um, and so we tried to argue that at court the first time the tribunal were in July 2016. Um, and, and we lost. So what the tribunal said was, there's this obligation to work. Uh, you know, they'd heard all this witness evidence. They said there's a requirement to turn the trips on. You know, Uber controls everything these drivers do. Uh, and so essentially, fundamentally, we failed to communicate the reality to the court at that time. Um, and we fundamentally disagree with some things in the judgment. I don't know if you've read it. I've read it a few times. Uh, it's really emotive. It's really, really nasty um, again, about us and about the way we work. Um, and so we thought it was the right thing to do to appeal, one, because it was legally wrong, two, because it's not actually what the people want, um, because of the subsequent impact of being controlled, which is the very thing that Uber never, ever, ever wanted to do. It's in nobody's interest. So we appealed. We went to the first stage of the appeal process, which was the Employment Appeals Tribunal. We, we lost that as well. Um, which essentially restated the previous findings. So they said there's a requirement for everyone to work, there's a requirement to log on, uh, and Uber controls you. So we think those things taken individually, collectively, amount to this kind of worker status. Um, they also said they thought working was whenever you're logged on, irrespective of what you do. Just before the claim started, one of the claimants um, went logged on for 91 hours, did 18% of the trips taken to him, made something like £4 an hour. And that, the, you keep seeing this, this minimum wage kind of story running through the case, perpetuated by the claimants. Uh, now, actually, the reality is that it's entirely at somebody's liberty to choose to do nothing and log on. It, everybody loses, but it's a choice you can make. And the freedom that we inject into the app allowed that to happen. Um, and so one of the things that we said to the tribunal was, hey, hang on, he didn't have to work, because if he did, we wouldn't have let that happen. You know, he'd have been off the app for messing up riders, driver long waiting times, etc. So there is no obligation to work. So we've got legal arguments, we've got moral arguments, frankly, um, that we're appealing to the, the higher court. So we're going to the Court of Appeal on the last day of October, the first day of November. Um, there's something else running concurrent to that, which is the whole Taylor Review, the stuff you read in the press all the time, which I can come to. Yeah. Um, but in a, it's not even a nutshell, in a, in a great bag of nuts, that is the, the, the case today, uh, practically. Great, we'll, we'll come on to the Taylor Review in just a second. I'm just gonna switch focus to Arena for a second. Talk us through what you were doing with marketing over the last year. It's quite a lot of interest. We were, through the workshop stuff that we've been doing over the last six months, we constantly ask what we're doing to generate more interest and actually grow the business for the, for the small businesses we're running. Tell me a little bit about what you've been up to. Yeah, so um, as you guys probably would have realized, historically, Uber has relied on the experience as our biggest marketing tactic, if you will. With most businesses, um, and obviously I have experience working across a wide variety of businesses besides Uber, but what we typically see is when somebody tries a product for the first time, um, and then they can try it a couple of more times, for most products, over time, they use it less and less and less. We see the opposite for Uber. When a rider tries Uber for the first time, the majority of riders will increase their usage. That's amazing for us, right? So like on the marketing team, we're like, great. What we have to focus on is just reminding them of the awesome experience they get for the app, the amazing experience they have in the car with you guys, and then they'll just keep riding more and more with us. So we didn't really invest a lot of money before in building the brand. 
in telling people what does Uber stand for? Why do we exist? What's so exciting about it like other brands do around the world? And so where we landed with that last year um, is, you know, we have some reputational challenges. The experience remains great for most riders, but the reputation of the company not so much. Um, that's because of the business challenges we've had. That's because of the legal challenges we've had. And so our plan for this year, and we've been quiet. We, you probably haven't seen a lot of advertising for Uber in the last six months or so. So we have been, we have chosen to be more quiet because rebuilding reputation is not just about what you say, but how you say it. So shouting with billboards about how great we are doesn't feel like the right thing right now. But um, I have some great news in that in the next couple of months, you guys will be seeing campaigns coming out, namely in May and June. And we have some plans for the rest of the year to start telling people what we're about, to start telling people how we're doing the right thing and how we're ultimately changing our reputation. So it becomes about the experience, but we're focusing a lot on building the brand so that you guys can also be proud of driving for Uber. Great stuff. And we're going to switch. We'll come back to some more stuff on that in just a second. A bit more specific on what we're doing in terms yeah. of the rider education, which I know guys, you guys have asked quite a lot about. TFL mentioned Edgar. We had we heard Tom earlier on talking about TFL, and Fred touched on it briefly. Safety is a huge part of our theme this year. It's a part of our core strategy. So, what are we doing to improve safety in general? And is there, what can you talk tell us? Talk us through. Yeah, I think, I think we've, we've put a lot of processes and features in place, and, and I think we've gone beyond TFL concerns in safety. We, we overpassed them like, for a long way. And I think you, you all received this safety package email like a few weeks ago, and that we were highlighting some of the features that we put in place in the, in the app and some of the processes that we are actually, actually improving. And just to point out some of them that I really want to, to highlight, I think a really huge effort you, you had before the session with Neil on the support side. So we're really, we're really doing this huge effort on, on the phone line, the dedicated support line. And it's really important for the safety incidents because at some point we cannot avoid the incidents, but we, have, we can like respond in, in the best way we can, right? So this phone, dedicated phone line is really important to mitigate this response in, in, the, in the CU's incidents. That's a huge effort we're doing with Neil. The other one that, that, that we are actually improving a lot is the communication with the external stakeholders like, like the police. We, we can communicate and pass information directly to the police. We really, we really built a really strong and solid communication channels with them so we can pass this information for serious incidents with the police and have a really close collaboration with them. And, and I think one really small but really powerful that we, that we actually launched last year is the Share Your Trip. And I think that's a really small feature that we, that, that we put in place, but I think it's really powerful for some of the drivers that actually they, we had really good feedback, that you can share your location and your trip uh, while you're working so you feel that somebody knows where you are at some point. Some, some, some people might not like that one, but, but, but some people really, really values the point of having this point of contact with somebody else, family, friends, whoever you want to, to share the, the location with, and really improve the, the safety in the, in the, in the platform. And, and, yeah, and if you really go through the email, there are like a few more features that, that we launched and really are improving the, the yeah. platform safety. Fantastic. We'll come, we'll come back to Jonathan quickly as well. We touched on the Taylor review really briefly. Uh, for those of you that don't know what it is, do you mind talking us through what the Taylor review is and relatively simply what, it, what does it mean for Uber? Yeah, it started around the time of the case, actually. So Theresa May came in uh, and then kick-started this review of the ways of work. So our case was drawing a lot of headlines. 
Uh, and so she instructed some, a guy called Matthew Taylor, who's a former Labour politician, to do this huge review of modern working practices. So that includes kind of platform, gig economy, uh, agency workers, zero hours, the whole spectrum. Companies across the UK were invited to contribute. So you had trade unions contributing, you had big businesses, small businesses, gig workers uh, and gig platform companies contributing. Um, his, his report was hotly anticipated. You know, everyone thought this was going to be a big deal, make loads of recommendations. And, and ultimately it did. It was some huge 100-page report. Again, I think I do too much reading. If you want to read it, have a read. But essentially, he's advocating for um, a development and greater clarification of employment status to, to weed out some of the rogue and the sham uh, gig economy companies and recommended that the government take action to make various changes, including providing greater clarity for status. What he didn't do, there were a number of recommendations, things like presumption of employee status, which a lot of the unions, <coughs> unions were peddling, um, which would essentially just killed the gig economy uh, dead in, its, in, in the water. Uh, and Matthew Taylor fortunately said that isn't a modern, reflective of modern working practices. And so he, he really pushed not wanting to um, diminish or restrict flexibility and said that as part of the government's response that they ought to try and endorse and support that whilst also providing greater clarity. So what everyone was waiting for was Theresa May to come in and say, OK, thanks, Taylor Review, here are the changes. Uh, and so we were waiting, policy team, I was waiting to do to read some more stuff, uh, and then it, the government's initial response was, we need to do a consultation. Uh, five consultations uh, on all different aspects of the Taylor uh, Review one of which being about employment status, um, a few bits being about um, minimum wage. And so what's kicked off now is another consultation process. The response was broadly quite criticised. People thought it didn't go far enough, should have been bolder. But the response to that was, well, hang on, you're talking about hundreds and hundreds of years of, of law. The courts can't get a hold of this, as our case so far has shown. Um, so we need more interested people contributing more on specific questions. And that's where we're at now. So the government response to the Taylor Review is a consultation. The consultation is due to end in June, July, uh, which we're going to be submitting to as well. And we'll send that around uh, when, we, when we've done that. Um, and then the government may decide whether or not to bring new laws in. We think there's nothing happening yet. We're just taking their time. Um, but we're contributing to that. Great. Um, we'll go back to marketing again. So a, a lot of questions, we've had this a few times today, I'm not sure how many of you brought this up. Educating riders, it's a really big thing. We really want to educate them about the platform, about what we do, about what it means to be a partner. Yeah. Can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah, I think that's one of our biggest priorities. And it's educating riders and it's educating the public at large because the one thing that's happened is because we have been silent and because the media has been so vocal about writing about Uber, the narrative has been set for everybody about what Uber drivers are. And that's a lot of that stuff is misconceptions. So we've got two things that we're planning. The first one is to dispel the misconceptions. So things like our drivers are background tracked and they're licensed, which a lot of people don't think is true. Um, so our first campaign that's coming out is addressing those biggest concerns and misconceptions that people have around safety or around the legality of Uber and some, you know, a plethora of other things. And then the second thing is, you know, what we feel is a big strength of Uber is the fact that our partner drivers are fundamentally pretty good people. 
the majority of them are good people who give riders great experiences. So people who've ridden with Uber, who get in the car, come out of it saying, but you know, my driver's a really nice guy. Like they, they can't associate what's happening in the press with what they experience every single day, um, taking Ubers. So one of the things that we're trying to do is bring that to the masses. And at the end, what we want to come out of it with is one, an understanding from riders and the public exactly what Uber partner drivers are and what the experience actually is and what we stand for as a company and know the truth about um, some of the misconceptions. So there's more stuff to be planned uh, for the rest of the year. Um, so look out for all of it. I'm sure you'll be the first ones to know as well because we'll send yep. it ahead of time to you. It's very exciting stuff. Edgar, finally, to wrap this up on a really positive note, what are you doing for drivers to make the app safer for them and from a rider perspective as well? <laughs> I think the, the, the way we look at safety also is uh, safety in, in the platform. So it's the, the two sides of the same coin. No? So when we're launching something, it may be more specific to riders or drivers. But for instance, the example I gave for the support line is really, really powerful for riders as well as for drivers, right? But, but just to echo a little bit what, what Irina was saying, we're really trying to get all these safety concerns back into, into the ground. So for instance, what we're implementing now, it's already implemented. It's like the rider now can see your license number and who issued that license. So actually we can kind of avoid this mistrust or this misconception between the rider and the driver. So now if anyone now gets the, the conversation of I'm not licensed, you can tell them like, yeah, you can check your app, it's there. And the other things that we're doing actually, we're pushing also in the education side, but more like tactical in terms of like how the, the riders have to behave while driving, which are our community guidelines, because some of the new riders, they, they don't actually know what to expect, right? And, and I think we're, we're trying to push this content to the, to the riders and something also to the drivers on how to de-escalate situation. There are like some troublesome riders that we need to know how to handle that, how, how to de-escalate situation, how to report all this to, to the platform so we can actually take action with, this, with these riders. I think everything, we'll, we will tag along a lot with the marketing message in order to make this education piece really powerful from, from both ends. Fantastic, can we just a round of applause for the guys here? So we're going to have a Q&A, so you can ask about this, the variety of uh, topics and pr product specialists we have here. Uh, would anyone like to start? Hello, for a question for Jonathan. Hopefully it will not happen, but uh, what if uh, you will not be able to win the case? Yeah, so we've got, there are a few different things to think about. So one of which is planning for what a worker model would look like. And it's something that's entirely unprecedented. And it's a place that we don't want to be because it's a place that we think we would need to exert great control over drivers. And so we would essentially lose our key selling point fundamentally about what makes the app so good. But one of, one of them is trying to look for how we can make that work. You know, what shifts would look like, how you could try and preserve a familiar, uh, flexible experience. Because we know fundamentally that if some competitors come sweeping into to any of our cities, when one is under a, a shift setting model and the other's not, we know where you're going to go. Um, and so one of them is trying to make a worker model work, but that's something that we've absolutely deprioritized because we fundamentally don't think that's what anybody wants. Appealing is the other one. Uh, so we've, there's two further appeal stages to come. The third thing to bear in mind is that the tribunal itself for those 19 claimants relates to the app in July 2016. 
So for those of you who've been around since then, it's changed quite fundamentally, quite significantly. But the primary one is to continue fighting uh, and also try and make various changes, be it for safety, be it changes, things like, you know, like the star power tokens, things that give greater control into the driver's hands and out of Uber's hands, which is part of the Taylor review as well, saying that control, who controls who, and whether there's one way or two way flexibility should be important. Uh, question for Irina. Um, well, obviously, the marketing that's campaign that's going to be coming out soon sounds really good. Um, what about on a local level? Could we not get some more positive PR locally uh, to support our case and actually show what a great you know what great people we are? Really good point. Uh, yeah, because we we are you know we are a global company and that is a great thing, but it doesn't always work in our favor, especially on the local level. Because we want to say you know we are better. Manchester's better because Uber's there. London's better because Uber's there. Southampton's better because Uber's there, and that really makes it a local thing. So one of those the answer to answer to your question one is the campaigns that I mentioned earlier. They're going to be running across the UK, so they will be seen by everybody. But the second thing is we actually have a cities team that deals with local level partnerships and one of the things that we're doing is ramping up partnerships so with local football clubs we're talking to councils pretty closely to try to figure out how can we you know not just be present even but just like be helpful how can we if our promise is to, you know to, to close the gaps in transport and to make cities better which is what it is how are we actually fundamentally doing that on the ground and it goes beyond marketing so there is a team that has been set up um, that deals with uh, local councils and local organizations and um, local brands to try to set up partnerships at that level. So we're, work we're working on it. Um, you might not have seen it yet come to life, but it's definitely something that we focus on. It's a good one. Fantastic. Can we have a round of applause for the Fireside Chat? Great job, guys. So with that, we'll wrap it up just there. We hope you enjoyed the fireside chat and you've got some great insights on the things we're working on. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast here on SoundCloud to stay up to date with the latest news and updates. And if you want to learn anything more about Uber Engage, please visit t.uber.com forward slash Uber Engage. Drive safe and have a good one.